A reading from Acts chapter 6, and we're starting at verse 8, and we'll be moving through verse chapter 7 as well. So that's Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedom, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as providences of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the spirit God gave them as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Moving into chapter 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now going. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward they will come out of that country and they will worship me at this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him into slave in in Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent his father Jacob 
and his whole family, serving five in, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew drew near for God to fulfill the promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out newborn babies so that they would die. At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as his own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. And the next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers, why do you not? Why do you hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He went over to get a closer look, He had heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses that they had rejected with words who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to the ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush and he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea for 40 years in the wilderness. And then we skip to verse 51. You are a stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven 
and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Great, thanks Tim. If you've got a Bible or an electronic device, it'd be great to uh, pull that out and I'll pray as we begin. Sorry mate, thanks. Merciful Father, we just give thanks that you are a God of immeasurable mercy. When we, uh, we sit with uh, a reading like t- today, a story of the early church, um, it raises all sorts of questions. And Father, we just uh, pray that you would please settle our minds and by your spirit help us to uh, just see the grace that is there for each of us, to instruct us, to encourage us, to embolden us, uh, to just be all in and living all for you and your glory, Jesus. Amen. All right, uh, who knows what happened on October the 5th this year? Anyone? It was a very significant date for a number of people in the world. Anyone? Okay, who has one of these that has an Apple on it? Anyone? Anyone have an iPhone, Apple, Apple device, computers? Come on, don't be ashamed. Uh, so t- that was the 10th anniversary of Steve Jobs' death, the 5th of October uh, this year. And with his death way back in 2011, uh, there was no shortage of doomsdays, people saying that Apple is dead. The founder is dead, Apple's dead. If you've got shares, get out of Apple. Ten years on, Apple is growing faster than ever. Revenue profit products are tripled. Um, it's the, the company's just booming. So just for example, Apple sold nearly $40 billion worth of iPhones, $7.3 billion worth of iPads, $8.2 billion worth of Macs, made a $21.7 billion profit. And here's the kicker, that's just in the last three months. I want to stress I'm in no way about to compare Steve Jobs with Jesus, okay? We are just not going there, don't go there. Um, however... It's not unlike how the religious authorities of Jesus' day believed that with his death they were killing and ending this Jesus cult, this Jesus movement once and for all. Um, if you kill a mouthpiece, if you kill a founder, it makes sense that you know the movement would die with it. Well, of course, God had other ideas. By the end of Luke's Gospel, the beginning of the book of Acts records how the crucified, risen, ascended Jesus is continuing his mission um, from heaven... So Jesus is in heaven at his Father's right hand, but he's continuing his mission um, even more so through his followers as they speak the word and by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not unlike Apple um, 
Christianity, as we're reading, it, it's spreading like a wildfire. It's, it's growing faster and faster. Um, and so Acts tells the story of how the message about Jesus is just spreading and spreading unhindered. That word unhindered or unhinderedly is actually the last word in the book of Acts. That's how Acts ends, unhinderedly. As the word spreads, so increasing numbers of people are joined up with Jesus and his people as they believe the gospel and put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. It's unstoppable as that, um, I don't know how many coffees that guy had to be able to colour in that fast, but as the, as the video showed. Um, and so what we've got here is this story of Stephen is chosen as one of the faithful uh, to serve the needs of um, the growing number, numbers of Jesus' followers. Uh, that's the context at the start of chapter 6 where um, there's more and more people coming into the church. A lot of them are widows, whatever, they can't fend for themselves uh, and so they need food and things done for them. The apostles are getting increasingly distracted from preaching the word and prayer and so they wisely appoint godly men who are full of the spirit and wisdom like Stephen to serve um, these widows and the result we read in verse 7 chapter 6 is that the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a number large number of priests even became obedient to the faith that is there is no heart that the risen Jesus cannot change and transform and make his own through the word and by his spirit and so I just started with this little illustration uh, with, you know, Apple iPhones, whatever, is just that, you know, as you pick up your phone, as you take a call, as you jump on your computer, even if it's not an Apple device, remember Acts. Remember that to be sold out for Jesus is to have shares in the fastest growing unstoppable movement ever. You really are onto a good thing if you're here as a follower of Jesus. Remember that whatever strife is going on in your life at the moment, however you're feeling, whatever challenges you're experiencing whatever is going on in your world that Jesus wins Jesus wins Jesus guarantees his followers the most unimaginable dividend payout when we die and so that brings us to Stephen's story in, in that reading, Acts 6 and 7. It's a story of costly courage, isn't it? Of an ordinary Jesus follower who is completely sold out for Jesus and absolutely sure of his inheritance. And this morning, I want us to just help us understand why this gets so much ink in our Bibles. As Meredith mentioned, the first martyr, um, the first person to die for talking about Jesus. But I want to talk about the spirit of Stephen, the speech of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, and then we'll finish off with a few so what's. So let's go. You'll be pleased to know we're not going through that reading verse by verse, okay? Just to let you know. So the spirit of Stephen, the spirit of Stephen, um, and it's a, just a beautiful uh, picture of what spirit-filled servants of Jesus keep doing. I think a big part of the reason that Stephen's speech is here um, is because it shows us part of God's succession plan after the apostles are gone. Um, you know, uh, I left Trinity Bay, I was the founder. Um, it's still going strong. You know, the founder of Trinity Grove uh, has been sent on uh, out into the mission field and 
it's still powering on. That is, Jesus will always keep building and growing his church. It's not dependent on individuals. And that question would all fizzle out with the, the apostles' deaths. We've got the apostles in Acts. What happens when there's no apostles around? I think the first lesson of Stephen is just to show us that Jesus will continue to act and fulfill his mission. And he'll just keep doing that, speaking through ordinary human beings like you and I, ordinary spirit-filled followers like Stephen, as we give it a go. What's the apostles' plan to cope with a growing number of responsibilities? As I say, it's to delegate so you guys can keep preaching and praying. And so as you go through Acts, there, there are these seemingly bigger and bigger obstacles that, that, that threaten the spread of the gospel. Uh, whether it's uh, being able to speak the gospel in other, other tongues, Acts 2, whether it's being thrown in prison, Acts 3 and 4, whether it's sin and love of money, Acts 5, whether it's a church you know, becoming distracted by all the practical needs of, of his people. Then I know what we see is the risen Jesus through the Holy Spirit continuing to overcome those obstacles time and time and time again. But what will the church, how will the church react if someone gets killed for talking about Jesus? We all sort of go into our bubble, you know, shrink down. I think I might just, just, just shut up and be quiet, you know, just, just, and I just know that in, in, in our society, the world today, um, what's coming at us from government and, and other things is increasingly secular society where, you know, Christians are now the bad guys, Christianity is now bad for society, that the, the danger is, is that we'll, we'll sort of bunker down. Well, I think Stephen encourages us to do the exact opposite. What's interesting as well, isn't it, that you'd think a pretty safe way just to be a Christian and fly under the radar is just to serve on tables, you know, get involved in practical things, whether it's, you know, welcoming at church, you know... Um, or, you know, helping on set up or pack up. But Stephen knows the gospel and when the opportunity comes, he gives, he gives it a go. He's ready to share, ready to, to speak the gospel of Jesus to others. Twice we're told uh, in, at the end of chapter 6 that G, uh, Stephen is full of the spirit and wisdom, grace and power. Uh, as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling with us. The Spirit is opening and teaching us the wisdom of God's Word. We have the grace and the power of God's at work in our lives. We're also told, just like the apostles, that Stephen's fellow Jews couldn't withstand the wisdom and the Spirit and the power of just his ordinary speaking about Jesus. And it is ordinary speaking. He really just tells in summary form, doesn't he? The story of God's Old Testament people in the Bible. God's word is his wisdom. The spirit helps Stephen to be able to remember and to, to say well that story, leading to where it gets to. In Luke twenty-one fifteen, Jesus has promised his followers... I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Well, here it is. Here it is. The word that we have. 
We're not talking of a, an extra special word here. We're, just, we're talking of the power of God's word, the living word. Just like the risen Jesus has been doing for his apostles, so Jesus is doing the same for converts who will humbly seek to obey the Spirit's promptings and have a go talking about Jesus. Just a couple of reflections. Stephen's not an apostle, but Jesus promised he will and he does speak through ordinary people, just as he promised. Again, from Luke 12, we read that, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Stephen's a non-Jerusalem Hellenist, a Greek uh, he, he's, 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 he's been converted, he's Jewish. And what he's now doing is he's in a synagogue, a place where God's word's taught, and he's, he's speaking to other Jews from the diaspora who've come from other nations and other backgrounds. And it's just a beautiful reminder, isn't it, that as I shared earlier, um, God is bringing increasingly numbers of people from increasing numbers of nations to our cities, but also to our country towns, to study, to work, to live, to try to make a life for themselves, to even escape persecution. It's unprecedented opportunities around us just to, to show hospitality that you've already been talked about this morning and to have a go speaking to them about Jesus. I don't know what that looks like for you. We've just moved house 50 kilometres down the coast from Brighton to Aldinga Beach and uh, we realised we had a free Sunday afternoon. We just threw out the invite to a couple of neighbours that we'd met um, and and they came over. We're sitting having nibbles and drinks, getting to know and, and you know, uh, one of them said, look, I noticed that the other Wednesday you went home but this really, you know... Um, trim looking young man had his shirt off and was all sweaty and he was working out in your backyard and I didn't know whether he was meant to be there and I said and Gita goes oh no that's our son Aaron he's he's set up a a, um, a gym in our backyard uh, when he comes back from work on Victor Harbour he stops off he works out for footy season and then he has dinner with us and goes off to Bible study Bible study what, what? what's that what's that all about and 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 there it went we weren't expecting it and and just a hundred questions coming um, from, from one of our neighbours who was just really interested and wanted to know about Christianity and God and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And so we didn't particularly have an agenda to turn the conversation in that direction, but it was a humble reminder to us, always be ready, but the Spirit, He will, he will bring you opportunities. And so I encourage you to just, just have a go, just put yourself in that space. Well, it brings us to the speech of Stephen. Um, they're obviously frustrated, as we heard it, not, not being able to refute Stephen. Uh, they, they resort to lies, false testimony, um, getting people involved. And the accusation is that he's speaking blasphemous words against Moses and the law and against God and his temple. Now, these are the very similar charges that have been brought against Jesus months earlier at his own trial. And just quickly... Um, you would have heard four chunks to Stephen's speech. Um, one chunk wasn't read. Four chunks. The first chunk, those first 16 verses, where Stephen wisely connects with his audience. He builds some common ground. Abraham's our father. Remember those promises, you know, giving, giving us the land that we now find ourselves living in. The second part of the speech, verses 17 to 43, Stephen reminds them of the grotty part of their own history. 
the very people through whom God raised up to speak his word and deliver them, had constantly been rejected by Israel's leaders, their own forefathers. And we heard Stephen give two examples there. The first was Joseph. He was sold into slavery. Remember Joseph? You know, his brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. Um, But remember, despite um, their rejection, God was using all of these events for his own glory and to save his people and to preserve his promises. We're told that Joseph, like Stephen, was filled with the spirit and wisdom. Eventually, Joseph, he's the second most powerful man in Egypt. There are his brothers. He reveals himself, his true identity and how God had made him the second most powerful man in in all of Egypt to preserve God's people. And in fear for their lives, he then explains to them at the end of of Genesis 50, well, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And to preserve his promises to Abraham, to preserve his people. We heard Stephen say that this is exactly what these religious leaders have done with Jesus. They rejected and killed him, but... God raised him from the dead to declare him once and for all to be the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the one name given by which all people must be saved. And for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, I think we're meant to understand that Stephen at this point is a type of Joseph, a Christian with God's spirit speaking God's wisdom to save his listeners from God's judgment to eternal life with him. Second example is Moses. We're told he's a beautiful child, verse 20. He's a bringer of God's peace and reconciliation, yet he too was rejected by his own people, just like Joseph and just like the rest of God's prophets. And so with many signs and wonders, God used Moses to save his people out of Egypt to be his treasured people. He alludes to that um, golden calf incident in Exodus 32, where the people rejected Moses, God's word, and they turned from worshipping God to make a golden calf and worship this instead. Again, as we think about what does all this mean for us? Well, again, in rejecting Jesus, the Jewish leaders of Stephen's day, they're rejecting a prophet like Moses that God promised to raise up in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. Jesus is this prophet God promised would come, the one greater than Moses. Jesus did even greater signs and wonders And he's continuing to do those signs and wonders through the apostles to authenticate them. That they really are, authentically speaking, the gospel message, the true message that can save. If only they would hear and believe and obey his message to turn and repent for the forgiveness of their sins. And then briefly, um, the third part of that speech that wasn't read out, verses 44 to 50, is Stephen just reminds his listeners, what they already know, that where God dwells and the worship that God wants. He now connects them with the history of the temple or the tabernacle. Stephen reminds them that God dwelt among them without buildings for many, many years. And in fact, the temple was David's idea, not God's. And even then, it wasn't David who built it, it was Solomon. And again, remember what God said, guys? I don't dwell in houses built by human hands. Paul's going to make the same point in his speech in the Areopagus in Acts 17. Quoting Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2, he says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. 
God doesn't dwell in man-made buildings or in bread or wine or stuff for that matter. God dwells in people who hear and believe the word by the power of his spirit. It's a beautiful reminder that wherever we are in the world, whatever's going on, whoever we're with, God is unchangingly and constantly with you, with his people. And then that last part of the speech we heard read out about stiff necks that leads to a good stoning. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, verse 51. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Now, remember that Stephen's talking to the religious hierarchy uh, of the day here. And Stephen uses language that Jews reserved for talking about Gentile unbelievers. It's just a beautiful reminder that whether you're religious or not, (laughs) whether you've been in a church or not, that if you are not trusting Jesus, if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then you're with the unbelievers. Lawbreakers, blasphemers, disobedient, faithless, these are some of the terms that Stephen uses. It's also just a reminder that religion is no friend to Jesus and furthering God's purposes. Sadly, some of the most God-dishonouring practice occurs in the name of religion. Well, this, of course, leads to the stoning of Stephen. Again, reveals there's only ever two responses to Jesus and his word and those who speak it. I don't know what the strongest reaction you've ever received to talking to someone about Jesus. I remember when I was practicing doing this um, as a new Christian, I'd go out with um, a couple of mates and we'd just practice talking to people about Jesus at uni. And I just remember we started talking to someone and they just went off. It was like a switch was flicked. It was like full on anger and rage. They didn't get violent with us, but it was verbally, it was full on. And it went on for three or four minutes and then just walked away. Don't know what it's like for you. Probably none of us have quite experienced what's about to happen to Stephen. But you've got the rage here, the religious leaders, they have the power and they're, they're about to use it and they do. And just before he has been dragged out, He's, a, he, he's just about to be stoned. Jesus himself opens heaven's door and Stephen gets to see into the very throne room of God in verses 55 and 56. Stephen sees what the religious leaders are blind to. It's just a beautiful... Um, uh, for Stephen, you know, not prescriptive but descriptive, it's a beautiful... Uh, reminder for Stephen but I think for us because it's written down that Jesus really 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 is with his people and really with us whenever we're talking about Jesus to others
It's also a reminder that Jesus is there ready to judge. As we live and die once and all stand before Jesus, either as our saviour or as our judge. He is the one who holds all authority and all power to save and to judge. Jesus is fulfilling what he promised this generation would see in Luke 22 when he says, from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And so as we, as we finish, a, a couple of things sort of so what for us. I think there's all sorts of things to encourage us here. Appearances can be deceiving, and especially in the world that we find ourselves currently living in. It appears that the religious and political leaders hold all the power. They use it to actually try to silence God's word. Stephen, on the other hand, appears very weak, outnumbered, a little bit like Jesus did there hanging on the cross. Yet he speaks with the courage and the strength, even asking that they'd be forgiven for their sin. He proclaims what he knows and sees. He proclaims the message about the one who truly has all the power. I think this is what Luke is desperate for us to see here. That we too might see what Stephen sees, believe what Stephen believed and have the courage that Stephen lived and died with. Brothers and sisters, let us be reminded who really is in charge, who really has control even when life feels out of control. But more than this, the one who we should fear. As Jesus said in Luke 12, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Again, in Luke 12, verses 8 and 9 this time, Jesus said that he would confess those before God whom confessed Jesus before other people. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before people, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. As Paul writes to hard-pressed Christians in Romans 8, who is to condemn? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, and he is interceding for you and I 24-7 at his Father's right hand. As we heard briefly with the kid's story there that was told on the video, how could Stephen know that the wisdom of the Lord Jesus was to use his death, his martyrdom, his death, as the trigger point? Because you've got all these Christians, apostles, you've got everyone in Jerusalem at the moment. Jesus has promised in Acts 1, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How would the Lord Jesus get these Christians out of Jerusalem? How would he get the message out? And this is the trigger. This is the tipping point. It's Stephen's death. 
It begins the scattering of Christians out of Jerusalem. And as they go, they speak about Jesus. God is so unstoppably in control. He can even use rage and hate, the murder of a fellow follower of Jesus, to further his gospel purposes. It's just a beautiful reminder that there is nothing going on in your life, nothing that will happen in your life, that the Lord Jesus will not use to prepare us for the future, to prepare us for that next season, to prepare us to be his witnesses. We can be confident that he is in control and that we really can leave it all out here on earth for Jesus. Jim Elliot, some of you I'm sure have heard, was a missionary whom God raised up and sent to Ecuador. He lived his life full on for God. He said many wise things about God and how to live a God-glorifying life for Jesus while there's breath in our lungs. Jim Elliot and his friends got killed in Ecuador while working to spread the words of Jesus. In fact, he'd barely opened his mouth for Jesus and he was killed. Even though he had a weapon for self-protection, he chose not to use it as he believed he was in the service of God and the only power that mattered was the power of God's word. He, like Stephen, believed. And I'll leave you with these words. He is no fool, he or she is no fool who gives what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. Let me pray. Merciful Father, thanks so much for uh, the way you ordained, um, for uh, this this trial of Stephen, for his speech, uh, for his stoning, for this to be in Scripture. And thank you that it's, again, just another reminder that you really are boss of the universe. You're in control, you're in charge. There is nothing that can happen in this world or in our lives that can stop the spread of your gospel purposes. But they're also here to teach us that you really are with us, that we have all we need in the Bible and by your Spirit and in fellowship with one another. We have all we need, the tools of grace, to live full on for you, to be able to courageously be sharing you with others as we go through life each day. Please will you so fill us with your spirit, send us out emboldened, encouraged, just to have a go, knowing that there's no better way we can honour you than just to leave it all here for you on earth. We know it matters because of your compassion for the lost, because people need to hear the gospel if they're going to be saved. And it really does bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.